Hi, this is Jerry Britt, and you're listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's Sunday, November 19th, and this, well, this is your Sunday sermon. I love this time of year, don't you? It's time to be grateful. It's a time to be thankful. In fact, those two words have been on my mind since September. I don't know why, though, but somewhere over these past few months, they have moved from my head to my heart. And as the Lord would have it, I came across Psalm 100, one of my most favorite psalms, and I realized that this was one of the most beautiful psalms of thanksgiving. That's when I knew I needed to share it with you today. So let's get ready to take a look at Psalm 100 and a message titled, An Attitude of Gratitude. But before we do, would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, Lord, thank you. Thank you. It just seems like the word is not enough sometimes, but thank you, Lord, for everything. The very breath we have, the life that we have, the challenges and the victories that we have. Lord, we are just so blessed. And Lord, I want to... I really want to learn from this today, and I want us all to study Psalm 100 and for you to open our hearts and minds to the truths that are in these five beautiful verses. Thank you for all of this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Beloved, open your Bible or Bible app to Psalm 100 and follow along with me as I read. It's only five verses long. I'll be using the ESV translation. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. With all my heart, I believe we are a people and a nation that has truly been blessed by God. And of all of those who give thanks to him and bless his name, our name should be at the top of the list. It's not uncommon to compile wish lists at Christmas and draw up lists of resolutions for New Year's. But there's another list we often overlook, a Thanksgiving Day list, a list of all the things we're thankful for. Here's some things that I found recently that people are especially thankful for. Number one, for elastic waistbands. Enough said there. For toothpaste. Did you know, by the time the founding fathers of the U.S. were in their 70s and 80s, including Washington, Adams, Jefferson, and Franklin, they were nearly or totally toothless. For children who put away things and clean up after themselves, there's such a joy you just hate to see them go home to their own parents. How about for teenagers, because they give parents an opportunity to learn a second language? Thankful for YouTube, I tell myself I'll just watch this one video for a bit of research, which leads to another, and then another, and oh, there's a worship song that I really wanted to listen to, and hey, isn't that a cool DIY, and well, you get the picture. And lastly, thankful for smoke alarms, because they let you know when the turkey is done. Now, our list might not be the same as theirs, but I'm convinced that if we begin to make a list, we would find that we have much more that we are thankful for than just material possessions. Like you, I'm sure my list would include the major life things like health, family, friends, and the nation we live in, despite all its flaws. And even more than that, I'm thankful for my salvation, our church family at Word of Hope Christian Church, and the mercy that God showers on us each day. 
With Jesus, we have so much to celebrate this Thanksgiving. Has it ever occurred to you that no Americans were more underprivileged than that small handful from the Mayflower who started the custom of setting aside a day of Thanksgiving to Almighty God? They had no homes, no government agency to help them build homes. They had no means of transportation but their legs. Their only food came from the sea in the forest, and they had to get it for themselves. They had no money. They had no amusements except what they made for themselves, no means of communication with their relatives in England, no Social Security or Medicare. But anyone who dared to call them underprivileged would probably have ended up in the stocks, for they did have four of the greatest human assets there are. Initiative, courage, willingness to work, and a boundless faith in God. That almost sounds strange today in a time when powerful forces are at work in our nation to strip us of every reminder that the very foundation of our nation was built upon the conviction that we are one nation under God. Our hallowed Declaration of Independence proclaims, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. And it ends with these words, With a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Thanksgiving Day is a distinctive holiday. It doesn't commemorate a battle or anyone's birthday or anniversary. It's simply a day set aside to express our nation's thanks to our nation's God. In 1789, George Washington made a public proclamation. Now, I'm going to read just a little part of it, but I want you to see the strong and absolute acknowledgement of the fact of God and our nation's dependence on him. Washington said, By the President of the United States of America, a proclamation, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress, did you hear that? Both houses of Congress have made their joint committee requesting me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November next, to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all good that was, that is, or that will be. So read the very first presidential Thanksgiving proclamation. This Thursday, our nation will pause once again to celebrate Thanksgiving Day. And one would assume that because of the example of our forefathers and because today we have so much that we would be extremely thankful people. But it's often just the opposite, isn't it? The more we get, the less we become thankful, the less mindful of God we are, and the more we want. I think that Psalm 100 was written to deal with that attitude, to remind us of our need to be thankful and to maintain an attitude of gratitude. So let's find out more. First, let's talk about the basis of our thanksgiving. Psalm 100 was written for the people of Israel. God said to them in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 12 to 14, For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God. But it doesn't take long to realize that the people of Israel needed a reminder, and I'm afraid that we need it too. Maybe God had us in mind also when this psalm was written. Did you notice to whom it was addressed? 
The first verse says that it was addressed to all the earth, and the last verse says it includes all the earth. This message of thanksgiving is so deep and wide that it applies to every person in every era in every stage of life. I think it's sad that, except for Canada and the Philippines, we're the only country in the world that has a Thanksgiving Day. I wonder how our world would be changed if suddenly all nations would begin to observe Thanksgiving. I think there is something about giving thanks together to God that breaks down barriers between people and brings about a unity, much like that which occurred as the Berlin Wall began to crumble. I also think there's a very real danger in this season of determining our Thanksgiving on the basis of how much we have. Do I have enough turkey to gorge myself sufficiently? Is my money in the bank secure? Am I healthy? And we let these things determine whether we're thankful or not. The psalmist says that all these things may change at any time. They may drift away or burn up or someone may steal them. The only thing we have for sure is our relationship with the Lord. And that's what Psalm 100 emphasizes. Just scan the psalm. Take a look at verse 1 again. You'll find the name of the Lord. In verse 2, you'll find the name of the Lord. Verse 3, again, you'll find the name of the Lord. Verse 4, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. And in verse 5, once again, you'll find the name of the Lord. The basis of our thanksgiving clearly is the Lord. Now, Alex Haley, the author of Roots, had a very unusual picture hanging on his office wall. It was a picture of a turtle on top of a fence post. When asked, why is it there? Alex Haley answered, every time I write something significant, Every time I read my words and think that they're wonderful and begin to feel proud of myself, I look at the turtle on top of that fence post and remember that he didn't get there on his own. He had help. That's the basis of thanksgiving to remember that we got here with the help of God and that he, he's the provider of every blessing we have. Now let's talk about five thanksgiving commands that are contained in these verses. Command number one is found in verse one. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, it says. It means to shout with the force of a trumpet blast, a shout of joy to the Lord that comes from the very depths of your being. And that's not just a command to Israel, but to all the earth, then and now. Maybe he solved your problem. Maybe he has given you the direction to go. Maybe he has provided a blessing and you realize that it's come from God. So from the depths of your being, you proclaim your praise. Roland Allen tells of a veteran missionary who came up to him one day after he had delivered his sermon. The missionary introduced himself and said, I was a medical missionary for many years in India, and I served in a region where there was progressive blindness. People were born with healthy vision, but there was something in the area that caused people to lose their sight as they grew older. But this missionary had developed a treatment which would stop progressive blindness. So people came to him and he performed his treatment, and they would leave realizing that they would have become completely blind, but because of him, their sight had been saved. He said that they never said thank you because that phrase was not in their dialect. Instead, they spoke a word that meant, I will tell your name. Wherever they went, they would tell the name of the missionary who had cured their blindness. They had received something so wonderful that they eagerly proclaimed it. And that's what the psalmist is saying here in Psalm 100. Suddenly you realize that God has been so good to you that you can't keep it inside anymore. From the depths of your being, you shout your joy unto the Lord. Command number two is in verse 2a. It says, serve the Lord with gladness. In the scripture, the word serve or abad denotes both an overall way of life, the broader way of life, and a specific activity, a narrow personal use of the term. 
Here the psalmist speaks of a specific and personal activity of praising God. We glorify God by ascribing to him the honor and adoration due him because he is God. In this specific sense of praise and adoration, what is worship? The Puritan Stephen Sharnock called it nothing else but rendering to God the honor that is due him. John MacArthur defined it as honor and adoration directed to God. A.W. Tozer gave a more expanded meaning. He said that God wants to cultivate within us the adoration and admiration of which he is worthy. He wants us to be astonished at the inconceivable elevation and magnitude and splendor of Almighty God. Indeed. Command number three is in verse 2b. It says, come into his presence with singing. Singing has always been a powerful tool of worship, allowing us to express our emotions and connect with God on a deeper level. There are 575 references to praise, singing, and music in the Bible, and at the very center of it is a 150-song hymnal known as the Psalms. From the beginning, music has been an essential link between God and his children. By coming before God's presence with singing, we acknowledge his sovereignty and open ourselves up to experience his awe-inspiring presence. In these verses, Psalm 100 encourages us as Christians to delight in the King. Our praise should be filled with joy, service rendered willingly and gladly, and songs sung wholeheartedly from deep within our souls as we enter into communion with God's magnificent presence. Command number four is found in verse three. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. In this verse, the psalmist gives us three reasons to be glad in the Lord. The first reason is that we must know that, as verse 3a says, the Lord, he is God. In 1 Kings 18, God was put to the test by the prophets of Baal, a pagan god. Elijah, God's prophet, came to the people of Israel and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. Elijah and the prophets of Baal then had a showdown. All 450 of the prophets of Baal prayed and waited for Baal to send fire down upon the altar. Nothing came. Then Elijah asked for the altar to be flooded with water. If the fire came, it would have to be a miracle. Elijah prays. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. He's not one God among many, beloved. He's the only true God. If we get this right, everything else falls into place. The second reason is that, in verse 3b, it is He who made us. We find the foundational creation story in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, but God's creative enterprise continues every day, every second of every day. God created us as the human race in the beginning, and new human lives take shape every day. Our lives came into being by the grace and agency of God. That's a mystery, isn't it? I mean, I don't understand why, but somehow in God's providence, he decided that he wanted a short man, not too good looking, not outstanding in anything, but just a faithful father and husband who would keep plodding along. So he made me. Someplace along the way, he had you in mind as well, and he made you too. And he is still making us, isn't he? That's important to realize. He's not satisfied with the unfinished product. He's not satisfied with your temper. He's not satisfied with your weak areas. He's not satisfied where you're giving into temptation. 
He's still making us. He's still working on our lives. The third reason is that we are his. We are the people and the sheep of his pasture. The Israelites celebrated their covenant relationship with God, but Christians are also God's covenant people. The psalmist also expresses his faith that the Lord watches over his people, as shown in Psalm 33, verses 18 to 22. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Lastly, command number five. It's found in verses four and five. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Let's look at the first part of this command, verse 4a. Given what we know of the Lord, it's no wonder that we're called to enter his presence by bringing two things, our thanksgiving and our praise. Thanksgiving is our expression of gratitude to God for all that he has done. Praise is our expression of approval or admiration for God himself. So we are to come into God's presence with appreciation and admiration for how God acts in our lives and in the world. It's an overflow of the love and honor and respect that we feel for God. Closely tied to our thanksgiving is a call to bless his name, verse 4b. But how can we do that? We're just mere mortals. How can we bless God? This word bless is a kind of adoration. When we bless God, it's an overflow of our affection and a reflection of God's amazing worth. At its root, the word bless, baraku in Hebrew, means to speak words of adoration with bended knee. It paints a picture of a grateful and humble servant bowing before a king. It's both a posture of our hearts and a crying aloud about the state of our soul. And verse 5 gives us the reason for this praise. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Yes, the Lord is good. He is beautiful. He's awesome. We should even taste and see this goodness, as Psalm 34, 8 says. God's love and faithfulness are unshakable. They're eternal. How clearly we see this love in Jesus Christ. God has fulfilled his great plan to restore his creation by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to bear the punishment for our sins so that through faith in Christ, we can have forgiveness and new life. And how clearly we see God's faithfulness to future generations. For now, we who believe are called children and heirs of God's glory. And in the future, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So let's not stop coming into God's presence to appreciate, admire, and adore him for all that he is now and in the glorious future. In a time when Christian communities are increasingly fractured and contentious, it's difficult to imagine a group of faithful witnesses moving together as one in praise to God. But it's precisely at this difficult time when this amazing psalm, Psalm 100, should come to our minds. Whenever we sing, whenever we read, whenever we pray this psalm, we join a vast community of praise throughout the course of history. As we bear witness to God's goodness, we step into a procession that stretches across time and place. We celebrate God's enduring commitment to the redemption of the world and reaffirm our common identity as God's people. Our loud shouts of praise announce the coming of God's kingdom. 
Beloved, from all of us at Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, we pray that this will be a meaningful Thanksgiving season for you and all of your family. We pray that with the message of Psalm 100, we can all develop and maintain that attitude of gratitude. Thanks again for joining us. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.